I just wanted to let everyone know I'm preaching today by wearing all this. Uh, he is risen. Yes, good. You guys are in peak form, in season and out of season. Very good. Um, we are going to talk about an Easter sermon. We're going to talk about the resurrection this morning. So uh, if you want, you can start turning uh, into your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at the first 19 verses. But yeah, that's what we're going to talk about, right? We don't need to talk about the resurrection only on Easter morning. We can do it every week, right? That's what we do here at Harbor Church. Um, And as we dive into this passage, Paul is writing to the Corinthian Christians because there was some false preaching that was starting to get spread, that the resurrection did not happen. So Paul was like, enough with the lies, I'm going to have to set things straight. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning, that the resurrection of Jesus did happen. Uh, Do you guys remember when you were kids? Maybe you went to summer fun, or maybe you had a really cool teacher, and they played the telephone game. You guys remember that one? The teacher would divide up the teams, and they would tell the first person in line. They would give some silly phrase or sentence, and then the object was to go down the row. Maybe there's like 10 people on each team, And whatever is whispered into your ear, you just relay it to the next person, right? And it's usually like a silly phrase. So it could be something like um, spaghetti, swimming in spaghetti is fun, right? That could be the thing. You want to make it not a a normal thing, right? And then it gets relayed, it gets whispered, it goes down, right? And then the 10th person looks at the teacher, goes, what did you just say? Just say it to the class. And then the kid goes... Singing in the spaceship is dumb, and like, ah, close enough, close enough. But that's the idea, right? I tried that experiment here at church. Um, it's my birthday this week, so I started to tell some of the, the leaders, hey, I think we should give John a nice meal, like at a nice buffet restaurant, right? And they're like, pss, 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 they're passing it on. I don't know what happened with the telephone game, but they said, oh, it's John's birthday this week. Let's let him preach. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. So... Kids, adults, we're all the same, right? We don't do that. And that's what's happening here in Corinth. It's been 18 years since Jesus' death, and the Corinthian Christians are starting to deliver and believe some messed up teachings about Jesus. And to make sure that the lie stopped, Paul is going to talk about the resurrection occurring in chapter 15. It's not made up. It's the same resurrection that convinced Paul to believe in Jesus And it still can convince people today, like you and me, to follow Jesus. So this morning, let's dive in and understand how this foundational truth in our Christian faith can persuade you to believe in the resurrected Savior. And for those of you who have already believed, my hope for you is that this morning it will motivate you to live out the resurrection every day in your life. Because it's truly life-changing. Let's pray and ask God to prepare our hearts right now. Dear God, we thank you for another opportunity to gather and dig into your word, which brings truth, hope, and life to us. We ask you to prepare our hearts right now as we look at how Jesus' resurrection gives us motivation to live every moment to make much of you in our world. For your namesake and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to start at verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. You can join along. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. And then jump to verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. So the first point we're going to see this morning is that we're going to look at Jesus' resurrection resurrects us from doubt. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection three days later removes all doubt that we could ever have. This momentous event really happened. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he's saying it's not some made-up story. Paul is stating a historical case for the resurrection of Jesus. And there are three interlocking parts to go along with this. The first, there's the empty tomb. Verse 4 says, Jesus, who was buried, rose from the grave. Second part, there were hundreds of eyewitnesses who saw and touched Jesus. So Paul wrote this letter about 18 years after Jesus' death, and he's saying, don't just take my word to believe in what I'm saying. Verse 6 says there were over 500 people who saw and witnessed Jesus. And Paul's saying, you can talk to most of them still. They're still. Most of them are still alive. Go and ask them. If you don't believe me, go ask the eyewitnesses. And then the third part, the changed lives of the people who met Jesus. Paul said that all those people who witnessed and saw Jesus, they lived a changed life after that experience. They testified to Jesus' resurrection. They were probably telling each other about it for many years to come, right? Whenever they gathered together, they're like, do you remember the time we saw Jesus, right? It was an event that would be talked about and talked about. It's better than the moon landing, the fall of the Berlin Wall, or maybe waking up at 3 a.m. to watch the royal wedding in England, right? They had, these folks had changed lives. They started to live to please Jesus. They started to live to follow Jesus. And their choice of following Jesus, it also came at a tremendous cost with the persecution that they faced. There are two Christian scholars that gave some great explanations to support how the resurrection removed any doubt that people could have whether it really happened. The first is the German scholar Wolfhart Pannenberg. He stated, early Christians could not have possibly preached the resurrection of Christ publicly and successfully unless both the empty tomb and the hundred of eyewitnesses really existed. So if people today say, who knows if it really happened after over 2,000 years? Who knows if there really were eyewitnesses? Can I trust an ancient document for this? Pannenberg replies, There is absolutely no way that this did not happen. There must have been an empty tomb. There must have been eyewitnesses. Or Christianity would not have been able to preach the resurrection of Christ immediately and successfully if it did not happen. 
Then there's the English scholar N.T. Wright. He said, if there was only an empty tomb and no sightings, people would believe that the body was stolen. If there were only eyewitnesses, but still a body, then the people were hallucinating. If only all of these were true, the empty tomb, the eyewitnesses, and the permanently changed lives, then it must have happened. But what about people today? Those who still doubt in the resurrection. They might respond to Paul, well, Paul, it's not like we can meet Jesus on the Damascus road like you did. How are we supposed to believe in Jesus now? I believe Paul wouldn't just tell, tell us today, well, you just need to have an experience with Jesus and then it'll make sense. I think if Paul were here this morning, I know what he would tell us. And let me get this right. If, if Paul were here, this would definitely be a Sunday that all of us would be talking about for many years to come, right? But in Acts 26, Paul gave an example of what he would say to someone who did not believe in the resurrection. Paul appeared before Festus and King Agrippa as he was in prison. Festus was the new governor in town, and he wanted to meet all the political prisoners. So Paul, he starts to talk about Jesus, the birth, his life, his, the resurrection. And then Festus, upon hearing about the resurrection, he interrupts and he cries out, you are out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. Paul, he replies calmly, I'm not going insane. I'm speaking things that are true and reasonable. Then he turns to King Agrippa. He said, the king knows all the facts. None of this has escaped his notice since all these things were not done in a corner. When Paul, what Paul is saying to King Agrippa is, you know all the facts. You know the tomb was empty. You know what the guards who guarded the tomb that night really said. And you know all about the eyewitness accounts. Paul was saying, I didn't want to believe in Jesus because believing Jesus would threaten everything in my life. It would challenge my righteousness, my worldview, who is in control of my life. It would change my everything. But I had to believe in Jesus when I saw that he was risen from the dead. I had to believe. I could not deny the evidence for the resurrection. For those still doubting the resurrection, maybe you have family or friends, or maybe you might be here this morning doubting in the resurrection. Paul is challenging you today. You need to account for the facts. You need to account for the fact that hundreds of Orthodox Jews, the last people on the planet to believe in the Son of God, did believe in the resurrection. You account for the fact that people hundreds at a time, saw Jesus. So it wasn't a hallucination because you don't have hallucinations in groups. You account for the fact that these people lived the rest of their lives as changed people. And they even died for their belief in the resurrection. So this isn't some kind of a hoax. Can you come up with a historically possible alternative explanation for the birth of the early church. 
If you can't, then you have no intellectual integrity to walk away from this. Jesus' resurrection removes any doubt that we have because the facts of the empty tomb, the hundreds of eyewitnesses, and the changed lives are a result of seeing the risen Jesus. Let's move on to the next point. Verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And then jump down to verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. So our second point is, Jesus' resurrection resurrects us from sin. Because of Christ, we are resurrected from sin. Let's look at Paul first, and then we'll look at ourselves. Just imagine Paul back then, right? He was the one who ordered, witnessed, and orchestrated the killings of so many Christians. And then in Acts 9, he had his his experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his life was changed from that point on. But how did Paul get past his past? In verse 9, Paul calls himself the very least of the apostles. Why? Because he was opposed to Jesus, right? He had so many Christians killed. But now he was a changed man. And he is part of the Christian church. So when he's worshiping with others, just imagine he's probably sitting next to a a friend or a family member of someone that he ordered to be killed. Talk about awkward. Thank goodness for God enabling us to forgive and to give grace to others. Now in verse 10 and 11, Paul described himself as the most effective apostle. So he went from the least to the most effective. In fact, maybe the most successful apostle of all time. In fact, he was. Now, don't get me wrong. Paul is correct in describing himself this way. But how did he get to this point? From not even worthy to be called an apostle, then by God's grace becoming the greatest of all time, right? The goat of all apostles. What led to this transformation? What was it? It's the gospel. The gospel and Jesus' resurrection enabled Paul to be realistic about himself, right? The least of all the apostles, yet to have an undeniable joy through knowing and experiencing God's abundant grace and forgiveness. That is how Paul got past his past. And I think that speaks to all of us today too. Instead of seeing ourselves for who we are in Christ Jesus, we often choose to base ourselves on the externals, our performance and pleasing others. When we're doing good at work, earning a promotion, our family life is problem-free, our favorite sports team is in first place, life is good, right? We're bold, we're happy in ourselves, but we're not very humble to who we are in Christ. But 
If we're failing in life, we're struggling at work, we're realizing maybe our marriage, my marriage is on the verge of shambles. And my kids, our kids, they're not listening to everything that we tell them to do. Then we become super humble and sweet to other people, but not very bold or confident in living our lives as a child of the king, a redeemed child. We're filled with worrying about what others think of us and not remembering who we are in Jesus Christ. I see some of you agreeing, but maybe still wondering, how do we overcome this motivation to see our worth, um, this motivation to see our worth through performance or pleasing others? How do we overcome this so that it's not a problem in our lives? We need to really look at the gospel. We need to look to Jesus and the gospel. When we realize just how wicked and evil we are and how much we needed Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, then we resign ourselves to the fact that we are weak sinners, but that we are unconditionally loved by God. This enables us to get past the weight of sin and guilt in our lives. No matter what you've done in the past, no matter who you've offended or hurt in the past, no matter if you've abandoned Jesus and tried to do things on your own understanding, all of that doesn't matter because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. There is forgiveness of what Jesus, there is forgiveness because of what Jesus did for us. We are no longer slaves to sin. This is what happened to Paul and how he was able to move past his past and become the greatest apostle to ever live. And this is what's going to help us to move forward in faithfulness, to be used by God to help many to come and know Jesus Christ. We can move past our sins and the consequences of our sins because of the resurrection. If you commit a crime... You usually have to pay the time, right? And then once you pay whatever the, the penalty is, then you are free to go, right? You're released. Um, my closest run-in with trouble was probably in elementary school. Uh, I had to stay after school one day and write on the chalkboard a hundred times, I will not talk when the teacher talks, right? I probably got home that day and faced even worse uh, punishment, but I think God has just removed it from my mind. I just remember writing the 100 times. But I learned the lesson, right? I paid the, the price. I had to stay after school, write down that thing 100 times, and I learned. I decided when authority says to do something, you do it. So um, that's for most of us, right? We pay the penalty and we move on. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, for you and for me. How do we know that Jesus paid the price in full for our sins? We need to look to the resurrection. From the resurrection, God stamped, paid in full for the sins that we committed. Verse 17 said, if Christ is not raised, you are still in your sins. But what if we turned it around? Since Christ is raised, we are no longer in our sins. Because we are in Christ, God no longer looks at our record. 
Rather, he looks at the record of his son, Jesus. In Christ, you are a jewel, a treasure, a gem. You are precious in his sight. My daughter recently, uh, Cassia, was recently writing a, a paper, and she described herself in the paper, I am the treasure of the student council. As I helped her proofread her paper, I chuckled a little bit. She said, what's wrong? I said, you are off by one letter because she was the treasurer of the student council. But you know what? As I started to think about it, she was on to something. She gave her life to Christ. She was just recently baptized. She was actually right. But you know what? She's not only the treasure of the, the school. She's the treasure in the eyes of God. That's even bigger. I did not tell her to write that because there's a lot to explain, and you don't want to be sent to the vice principal's office. So. But that's true, right? When we have Christ, we too are a treasure. Because of the resurrection, you are free from the past. You are free from what other people label you. You can focus on what God thinks of you. We are a new creation. We love not because of what we do, but because of who God is. We can really get messed up if we put weight only on what others say who we are. And we forget to place more emphasis and importance on who Jesus says who we are. Trust me, I've done this before, and it, and it ain't a pretty thing to do, so don't do it. There is forgiveness. There is freedom. God doesn't just erase the chalkboard of every sin that we ever committed. Rather, because of Jesus and the resurrection, he throws away the chalkboard. Let's look at Romans 8, verses 11 through 13. It reads, And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What a great encouragement to all of us as followers of Jesus, the promise that God makes to us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who resurrected Jesus is also going to resurrect us from our fleshly desires, which will lead us to life everlasting. We won't have that temptation to please ourselves, the temptation to seek revenge for someone who hurts us, the temptation to be right at the expense of damaging a friendship. All of that's going to fade away when the Holy Spirit takes control of our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Being free from the power of sin, it's not achieved by anything that we do, but it's totally and undeniably all from God. With this new life in Christ, we don't need to follow the ways of the flesh. There's a new sheriff in town in our lives, it's our resurrected Savior and King, King Jesus. Let's look at verse 14 and 15. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, 
whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. And verse 19, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. So Jesus resurrects us from our doubts. Jesus resurrects us from the sin that beats us down. And finally, Jesus resurrects us from our emptiness. The resurrection of Christ removes our emptiness and gives us purpose here on earth and purpose for eternity. We were created to worship and delight in the King. Because of, our, because of the resurrection, our lives are to be envied by others, not pitied. We are to be envied by others. Because of Christ, all of our obedience, all of our love, all of our self-denial, all those times that we choose to follow the narrow road in everyday decisions, all of that should be envied by others in the world. To others, it may appear that we're strange, right? Not living for ourselves or the, the present-day pleasures that the world offers. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.17. It reads, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. An absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. There is purpose and motivation of how we choose to live our lives when it's dictated by God's word, the resurrection, and the eternal rewards of our heavenly Father. It may seem radical, but when we have tasted and seen that Jesus is worthy to be followed because the resurrection removes our doubt, our sin, and it fills, us, fills our emptiness with purpose, it gives us what we need each day. There are people who try to fill the emptiness in their lives with short and fleeting pleasures of money, success, possessions, making their bodies happy. But when it fades away, people still feel empty. The world, they try to make it sound good, right? Maybe you've gone to a friend's eulogy and a funeral service and they say at the eulogy, she was a good person, or he seemed happy and, and did good things for the community. Everyone wants to have purpose and meaning in their lives. Those who have emptiness try to fill it by becoming a better person or doing something meaningful. I remember from my life, my early jobs, I tried to be the best that I could be in whatever it was. My first job, I started by selling cinnamon rolls in Waikiki. Now some of you are like, ah, oh, cinnamon is his daughter. Cinnamon rolls, yeah. I prided myself on being the one, the one server who could serve the most sweets and beverages to all the tourists that visited our kiosk. And all I had to show for it was maybe making some of these tourists a little heavier on their vacation. Then during one summer in college, I worked at a Mexican restaurant by UH. And I tried to fill my emptiness by being the server who would sell the most daily specials every day. I thought I could do it. And some days, most of the days I did. I, I sold a lot. Little, little did I know that those daily specials, they weren't that special. 
I realized the stuff that the cooks um, used for those daily specials were the things that were about to expire. So, so I'm not going to name the restaurant. <laughs> My first job out of college, working for a big rental car company, nationwide company that I'm going to keep anonymous, but it had a big green E on it, and they were known for picking up customers. Well, I tried to sell the most insurance packages in the office that I was working with, right? But you know what? I got nothing in return. I only made my manager and the company more money. All these accolades that I did, but it still left me empty inside. A famous author said in an interview, if there was one word of advice that I could give to my younger self, it would be, that when you get to the top, there's no one there. There's nothing there. Because of the resurrection, our lives have purpose. We are not to be pitied. Rather, we should be envied by all. Our lives are full. They're meaningful, significant, valid, and valuable. Maybe you feel stuck right now in your nine-to-five job, you don't see any chance of being promoted. Your life feels like Groundhog's Day, right? Doing the same things over and over and over again. Or maybe your days are full of dirty diapers, mountains of dirty laundry, and hearing baby shark doo 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 for the quadrillionth time. There is purpose for you in every stage of your life. God can use you to be a listening ear to a coworker who's maybe struggling in their marriage. God can use you to share with a neighbor's mom how you aren't going insane with all the noise and chaos in your household when the kids get home. Raising kids and being constantly busy caring for your family is drawing you to trust more in Jesus for your daily dose of patience, love, and compassion towards your children. Remember, during those times, when you feel that the mundane task of everyday life is tempting you to feel empty, don't fall for that lie. These are kingdom opportunities from God. Because of eternity, these tasks have eternal importance. Don't let these opportunities pass you by. Jesus fills your emptiness with joy and purpose, and he wants you to show others around you that there is hope and peace in Christ for them too. Before this morning, did you have some doubts of the power of Jesus' resurrection? Are you letting your past sins weigh you down and not let you live the freedom that Christ has given you when God stamped paid in full over your sins? Have you been living your life with an emptiness, now realizing that only Jesus can fill that void in your life. If God is tugging at your heart right now to make Jesus Lord of your life, and you want to believe in the resurrection, it's as easy as A, B, C. The A is to admit that you are a sinner and you are in need of a Savior. The B is to believe that Jesus died for your sins and was resurrected to pay your debt on the cross. The C is to confess that Jesus is your Lord 
and that you want to choose to live the rest of your life following him and his ways. If you do this, then tell the great news to the person who brought you or invited you to church. Or come and find me after service. We want to celebrate the new life that Jesus has given to you. I want to end with this John Piper quote. I really love it. It says, The greatest news in all the world is that God and his Son are most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in them. Jesus died and was resurrected to remove our doubt, sin, and to fill our emptiness. Dig into Christ and be satisfied in him. And when we do that, God and his son Jesus are most glorified in our lives. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for your master plan of salvation and redeeming people through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of your one and only son over 2,000 years ago. We thank you that Jesus' resurrection isn't just remembered on Easter, but that we see the power of the resurrection every day. Help us to know that the resurrection's power removes any doubts that we have, washes away our sins so that it's not even a clean slate that we have, but to realize that when we confess our sins, you throw away the slate. And also that our emptiness in our hearts can only be filled by the love, grace, and joy that comes from following Jesus. We pray that you would help to remove any obstacles that keep us from following you with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. We thank you that you are in the business of continually bringing more people to your son, Jesus. We ask that we would be satisfied with you every moment of the day so that you would be fully glorified in our lives. For your glory and your namesake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.